Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And we were just talking about a scenario a client of mine was dealing with where they had issues with the component and they are feverishly trying to find a way of selecting a supplier for the component which doesn't have quality control issues. Well, I mean, we it was one of these discussions where, hey, Zach, Chris, I got to hit record. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop talking about it. Hit record. So a little bit of background is, is that it, it was a, a component into a larger system and it is doing like a 1% defect rate. So my little stats brain went, okay, you got a 1% defect rate. If you know the failure mechanism that you're looking for, you might be able to create a a way to see if that condition exists. I know in electronics, we used to... Um, do dummy test boards basically and then we would cross-section the solder joints and look at the metal uh, bonding that occurred the different types of structures that were in the solder joint if it was mm -hmm. done correctly it would look like this if it was not done correctly it would look different but we knew exactly what we were looking for and we would run these tests and we could tell real quick whether somebody was screwing that up or not but that's when I hit said, oh, we got to hit record because you alluded to the, this company that's buying these components doesn't really know what in detail they're looking for. They just want to know they have good ones. <laughs> kind right. of not well defined. <laughs> it's and that's that's the problem, isn't it? It's um, look, it, you could you could sort of do a fault tree, not in terms of what way things fail, but your options. Oh, you know, sure. We, you and I could come up with a couple hundred ways something could fail pretty quickly. Right. <laughs> that but, doesn't help. But what, what <laughs> options do we have on the table? I mean, one of the options is you establish those wonderfully harmonious, transparent, um, uh, synergistic relationships with your suppliers where you learn what, what, what fails or what the issues are with the, with the components. You send the information back to a supplier and the supplier says, thank you very much. We'll put that into our next batch. And you have this wonderfully symbiotic relationship where everyone wins. Right. Um, uh, yeah, that happens all the time. Well, we, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, obviously it doesn't happen all the time, but, no. uh, but I think when we explain these wonderful scenarios to people, they, it's like they're missing a part of their brain when they believe it's a thing. Um, but it is a thing, um, yep. as you know. Yep. Um, what else? So that's one option. The other option is, um, make them yourself, you know, don't buy the component, just do it yourself. Right. So that's option number two, make it yourself with all this wonderful expertise. You can then generate and this wonderful focus on, on one, reliability. One component of one part of your system. Yeah. So that's option number two. What's option number three, option number three would be actually um, doing something along the lines of a FAMIA, FAMIKA, fault tree analysis, whatever you want to call it, where you get a good understanding of how that component fails and then give very strict guidance to your suppliers, your market. Say, hey, we need you to give me components which are robust at this corner and 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 sold here and, and uh, shot peened over there because these are the weak points of this component you provide us. We've done some of the hard work for you. Make sure you do this. Yeah, well, I'd say it's, you know, 
if they're experiencing failures now, do they have reasonable failure analysis of the failed components or is it just they know it broke? Uh, at this stage, they know it broke. But that's the next part is, is um, or I suppose the next option would be is that if you have a good, up to option number four, if you understand through failure analysis or, or what have you, going back to your familiar fault tree, what those quality control issues are going to look like, can you establish some sort of inspection regime, which is similar to what you were describing, Fred, where you essentially know what a good version looks like. Um, well, I mean, the issue is, is in the way you described it briefly, is that, you know, you can, they have this component and they could get it from a couple different suppliers. Mm-hmm. They're not exactly sure if it's a single type of failure or, or phenomena that occurs that causes the defect that causes the failures they're seeing. I mean, that's, that's just not clear. It's possible that it could be that way. Um, but if they go to a different supplier, um, and I know this from experience, is you just basically trade one set of potential failure mechanisms for a different set. Um, and I think the other piece of information we had off off mic was the industry isn't known as, what was the phrase used, as the powerhouse of SPC <laughs> and process quality control that right. so, you know Toyota is or other organizations are. Um, yep kind of thing so it was like you know switching to a different supplier and running the test that finds the faults that you know about may not help you at all because it's just going to be it very likely going to be just a different set of problems that right. may or so, may not be found in a test what are our options up to now so we've got either symbiotic relationship number one number two I need to keep track of this. Listeners will will be able to work out if I can remember what I was what I was just saying. Option number, yeah, sorry, I mean, yeah. make it yourself was option two. But there, option, and then yep. there's do the 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 root cause yep. FMEA fault tree. Sort it out. What could be it? What's most likely? Do some experiments. Feed it into the system so they fix that. Or I think we're up to four. Was then test it. You know, yeah, create a test. Inspection, which, yeah. inspection testing something like that. Um, there's a couple others though. Uh-oh. Well, you, you you know this, and 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 number number five is if it's quality control issues, you can do burn in, where um where essentially you simulate not just real world conditions, perhaps robust real world world conditions where you get the component put on a test bed and test it for a certain period of time or usage, such that you would reasonably expect um any quality control issues to manifest themselves through the small fraction of components which have them right. and those get simply removed from your population and, and the things that are still working at the end of your burn-in testing you then install on your system. Yeah. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate burn-in. I'd say HASS, highly accelerated yeah. stress screening, which is a variant of the same thing in my mind. But the issue is, is that if you don't know what your screen, and I, this, I only comes from experience that I saw these people that said, oh, we have this problem with, it was some material or component that had a, a, a moment arm in it. And so with vibration, that arm that's, that was suspending the active element of this uh, piece of this electronics component uh, would crack and fall off. Mm-hmm. And it was due to thermal cycling but it would take very, very long time. It was thermal cycling or vibration. And if it got just the right frequency of vibration, which happened to be generated by a hard drive sitting next to it, <laughs> it would yeah. fail pretty quick. And 
so they said we have to do burn-in in order because we don't know which of our stock is prone to this issue. They sorted out semi-symbiotically that, that it was a manufacturing issue. Um, and they're wondering why they were still having the problem. And you know where this story is going is they had a burn-in chamber. So they put all the components in an oven in high temperature for two days and figured that was burning it in and then it would be fine if nothing failed. And so that yep. would be just fine. And I'm like, okay, you need to think about what you just told me in the last four sentences. You, know? <laughs> you yep. have a vibration-induced failure and you put it in right. a high temperature, steady oven. Okay. Maybe uh, they put it in the oven because they took the phrase burn-in way too seriously. Yeah, no, that was what somebody said. You know, we used to do burn-in no on ICs and we have an oven and chamber. It's available. Let's burn it oh in. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, oh, my was... God. All right. Yep. <laughs> That's, so that just happened. Um. <laughs> So that's option number five. But let's call it with a caution. <laughs> yeah. So some people call it burning. You could argue has highly accelerated accelerated stress screening is um where you, where burn, burning can include um non-accelerated stresses, I could I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um has implicitly or well, implies that you use obviously much higher stresses. Well, not, it doesn't not always. No, it's just different and it's a different algorithm to get there. Um in right. my mind, anyway, there's too similar. But I think the idea is, is that you you still have to have that understanding of what you're looking for, uh, such that you you expose the ones that have the weakness. Now, I actually right. ran, if we're doing brainstorming here, we could maybe not number this one, but you could also do destructive testing, take them all apart to see which ones fail quickly. Um, yep. You know, do a, a material, do a cross-section and check the materials to see if the grain structure is prone to fatigue or something like that and you know in electronics you really can't do that cutting open your your ic to see if it's bonded correctly pretty much destroys the ic and it's hard to sell those as a rule yeah Yeah. because you actually need to unbond them to see if they've been bonded that's That's right right. pretty much (laughs) you know pull test on on your solder joints is usually not a good way to screen your product because 100 percent destructive testing is doesn't leave a lot to ship right and then um so that's option number five some sort of screening tests and then uh, you talked about uh an an unnumbered option where you actually do destructive testing or failure analysis of, of of Defect analysis maybe is a, is a term you could use, but, but even that, you're, you're just all you're trying to do is still understand how the damn thing is going to fail, mm-hmm. which is uh, I think so better than other options we've talked about. Um, and of course, uh, I think option number six would be to design a system which is robust, so that if you have a component which you know has certain failure modes and failure mechanisms, or a fraction of them will. What can your system do to mitigate that through perhaps early warning or or reducing the stresses? But again, you still need to know how those problematic components are going to ruin the day of your system. So that's number six. And I think we've exhausted all the really ones that you and I prefer to do. And option number seven is statistical-based testing. Oh, do a, what's the, what are they called? Do a bogey test. Just do 22 samples. Yeah, you know, and you'll have ninety percent confidence that it's ninety percent reliable. But they <laughs> they were trying to detect whether it was one percent, so now right. you need hundreds of samples. Right, and a test that actually is meaningful. So um, one of the yeah. one of the questions was how many what sample size do we need to be able to see if a batch 
has quality control issues. And again, you, you pick a number. Say it's one percent. Say it's three percent. Whatever. Say three percent is three three percent is is actually easy to detect. So let's run with that. Okay. But then you'd still need to have. You'd expect that for every roughly thirty three samples, one of them would be defective in those batches that you're trying to detect has a quality control issue. Right. And, and if that's the case. Then, as they say, what you need a minimum of three data points, three observable data points. So you need to have three quality control issue components detected during tests. So all of a sudden, you're up to a hundred total components being tested to see if there's three percent of them defective, yes or no, um, and that could be your entire batch done. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, and that that assumes that you actually know what you're testing for, which is a hard right. a bunch of the earlier ones to start with. Let's just right. get twenty samples and 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 test them. All right, well, how, how do you want to test them? Right. So, what are you testing for? I mean, if if again, you still need to know the fire mechanisms, even for statistical testing, the brute force testing, um, because how do you uncover these? Excuse me, uncover these things. It almost lends itself straight away to a screening test where if you're going to do the test anyway to see if they have any quality control issues, well, the ones that pass the test don't. So use them um, and just discard those 3% or however many percentage of, of components um, have those quality control issues. And that could be embedded back into a feedback mechanism to your suppliers and, and off you go. Well, it's... I mean, it sounds like it wasn't a software system because otherwise they would have had that option. Maybe option 12 no. here is, you know, well, we can fix it in software. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mechanical yeah. system, I take it. It is mechanical, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, you can still fix that in software. Just don't sell it to the people that <laughs> break it. <laughs> well, um, but I, I think I think the, the underlying issue here is that it was, it's still an organization that, and I think this is an em, em, endemic and emblemic of a lot of organizations out there who want to deal with things at a contractual or transactional perspective. So they only want to deal with reliability at the point of sale. They want to be able to have some absolute yes, no, is this good? Is this batch good? Yes, no process at the point of sale and then not have to worry about it thereafter we, we get that all the time though is and I'm, i remember opening boxes and seeing people opening stuff at factories and then the top of the sheet has a certified uh, results of various processes that that supplier was doing and maybe even had a x bar R chart or something similar to that mm-hmm. in the box with the batch right and it became apparent very quickly that their photocopier needed toner because every box I, I looked at where they were storing these things in the incoming part and it was basically the exact same stuff with a different date and, and shipping number on it but it was the yep. exact same chart from four years ago that they just right. kept photocopying so it was like didn't anybody well my job is just to see if it's there or not not to i don't know what it is and they would file it <laughs> and check it's good i right. mean that was all too common. But the idea is, is that we would want to say, hey, you're ISO 9000, you got to do this, you got to do SPC, you got to do that, got to do this. And you send us a certification that you did all this stuff. And then our hands are clean. We don't have to touch it anymore. It doesn't work that way. No. And culturally too, I think it's what most people forget or don't ever understand is that, yeah, you can, um, you can convince yourself and there is a certain logic to it that 
if you demand something of a supplier, then it's they're contractually obligated to you to provide uh, to you to provide the thing to built to a certain standard, a certain let's call it build state, right. which encodes reliability and quality. But as soon as you go to option seven, which is what can I do? What sort of arbitrary yes no test can I do at the point of sale to say to conclude whether this batch is good or bad? Culturally, within a matter of minutes, your organization will quickly descend into that, again, very transactional organization where there's this constant pressure to drive down purchase prices because that's the only interaction you have with the market. Mm -hmm. And so how can you demonstrate or even just to yourself, how can you demonstrate that you're improving your system? How can you demonstrate that you're making things better well the only thing you can address is the price because you have this arbitrary yes no test and everything that comes through that test is as good as anything else that comes through the test so there's there's no there's no shades of gray there's no continual improvement and you get that very toxic organization where you have that supply team whose one and only job is to gouge supplies um, over and over and over again and the suppliers will learn how to play the game because if they don't play the game, they're not going to be a supplier for much longer. And they're going to, whether you like it or not, do things like photocopy X bar R charts from years gone by just to tick the boxes because they're under so much cost pressure to make these half, half-hearted components. And then everyone loses. Yeah. Um, at the other end of the scale, you have those organizations which you and I know about who engage with those suppliers and in many cases are willing to pay more to suppliers if they embed additional features and quality characteristics and reliability into those components because the business case writes itself. You'll save 3,000 failures later on. Well, half a percent increase in, in, in purchase prices is a no-brainer yeah. Yeah. Um, unless you're in that organization who only deals with option seven. Yeah. No, and no, the, I'm coming back to this, the, the option where you said, oh, we'll do a statistical test is, and I was facetious, not really with the software will fix it, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's like, well, we don't understand what statistical testing really is anyway, but we think it's good. So we want to have that happen is, is yep. I think there's some mindset out there that, oh, we'll just draw a sample and, that, and then we'll be good. Um, where, or, or. And I've I've seen this, and it was from a sales engineer, which I knew I shouldn't have been talking to, that said, "Oh, well, but we run three batches and seventy-seven samples of each, and it's according to X Y Z set of standards, and we pass it all the time." And I said, "Okay, let's do a little math here. You're claiming you have a, a one in a million defect rate, and you had, you know, seventy-seven, hundred forty, you know, two hundred samples. There's no possible way you can support that claim." Right. The chance that you actually have that defect rate with this data set you just presented um, is a great big leap of faith. Right. And 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 so he kind of got red in the face and blustered a whole bunch and says, but it's a statistical test, an industry standard and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, great. This test means that you have shown or used this test to demonstrate that you have an 8% defect rate and, or better. He goes, well, of course it's better. I said, okay, where's your evidence? <laughs> so that discussion's quickly spiraled to let's have lunch. Right. Well, I mean, the other problem too is customers 
often demand from suppliers those standards you're referring to. So mm-hmm. suppliers are then forced to comply with industry standard as the customers keep dictating. And then someone, some painful person like you comes around and actually uses... They resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> like uses actually math and stats to actually try and scratch, scratch layers off. And of course, these salespeople are caught in the catch-22 where everybody else just says, yeah, it's all, I just want to see you pass a test so I can tell my boss that my my job as a supply chain manager is... Uh, we did our job. We're, we yep. did our due diligence. Right? Now, and, right. you know, and I've worked very closely with some excellent supply chain engineers or supply or whatever. They, they're quasi-quality control engineers um, that did the extra effort to f- identify the suppliers they could actually talk to, you know, yep. and say... Instead of saying, oh, here's our standard test, take it or leave it, it's here's what we typically do, what everybody asks for, but here's what we do to make sure it works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And instead of just doing the minimum, they were actually doing the process control and the and they were doing process improvement and and okay and it's night and day difference in the products. And they never really worried about the standards testing. It was the condition of sale and they always passed. But if you start asking the questions of well, what do you what was the last thing you did that improved your process or improved your yield or improved your product or improved its uh, robustness, and if they had a coherent answer to that, uh, uh, this one guy it was just he said, I would go back there. I would go out of my way to go back there because it was they just ne- you never flew out there to solve a problem or to yell at them because they were causing problems. They just they took care of it. Yeah. And they're the, they're the ones who actually, uh, they're the suppliers who don't put up the shutters when you say, oh, I have a problem. Yeah. Uh, a supplier that says straight away, oh, it was your usage profile, have the uh, preordained list of. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, the five standard answers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so those ones who say, oh, okay, can you please send us the data? Um, Give us as much information as possible. How is it being used? Yeah. Um, and I will get back to you with the time frame. They're the sort of suppliers that you go, you know what? Even if they are the most unreliable suppliers, so to speak, at the start of your engagement, they're going to very quickly become the your most reliable supplier if they keep responding to. Let's learn your, from this your, and make it better. Yeah. Right. Right. They're going to they're going to quickly become as reliable as you can possibly be. So I suppose that the main point is you. What is the main point here? I think it comes down to that confidence thing where we say we say a lot that confidence is a measure of you, not a measure of your machine and your system. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you can get you can get confidence from two sources: one, understanding whatever it is that's going on, and two, from statistics. And but that's the same thing. <laughs> right. The, same the confidence thing confidence yeah. you get from understanding is a lot more valuable. Because all statistics is trying can essentially do is give you some supporting evidence to improve your understanding. But if you already understand your process and your system and your machine, you're already there. I mean, if you already know what the weak points are and when it's going to fail and how it's going to fail, you don't need to do statistics. But the problem with statistics is that you need often an awful lot of it. And in many cases, you actually need to have at least some rudimentary understanding in order to set up your statistical-based test. Yeah. Um, it's just that if you don't want to be bothered to understand how the machine, a supplier, is going to provide you fails, then your, the only option you have left is statistics, which is 
rarely the best way to go as a tool in isolation. Yeah, it's not a very good blunt instrument. It's kind of, it's not. And so I think that's, I mean, the overall thought here is that it starts when you start picking suppliers and in the design is, you know, what are the, what are you actually looking for? What's the robustness of it? And can you accept a two or 3% defect rate for some component? Oftentimes that's a no, very, very often. Um, But then what are you going to do about it? And part of that process is, and this is kind of a summary, is wherever possible is create those relationships with your your suppliers for those critical elements of your system that are suspected to have a a failure rate that you can't accept, or later you find it is unacceptable, that you can actually work with, that you can trade information. And uh, we used to call it the open kimono. Um, I'm not really sure what that context is, but... um, you know, here's what we know about the science and industry and, and the technology that we're putting into this component and what is the data you have and let's trade information and make this work. That doesn't just happen because you call them with a failure. That doesn't happen at all. And and then saying, well, we'll just do a, a test to compare the different suppliers. There's a lot of that just testing, just... you. Well, it goes back to understanding. You got to understand enough about it. I remember one time. This might be the summary statement here: is that the um, had it was a, a manager that oversaw a small uh, internal factory for HP that made uh, mostly just did setups and prototype lines and stuff like that. Uh, and his engineering staff worked with it, the bigger producers like Foxconn and in other folks that made circuit boards for us. Uh, and he said they were going to shut down the line. Uh, the, one of the cost-cutting things was they're going to shut down this equipment. And his concern was is that I won't have people that understand how to make a circuit board anymore overseeing circuit board manufacturers. And just not having that hands-on, deep understanding puts us at a disadvantage. And so that was a, a, a big issue that the, he was looking for. And sure enough, in about four years, he, he was exactly right that he couldn't get staff that actually had the understanding because the people that wanted to understand electronics would go work for the people making electronics. And so they, he ran into that. So it sounds like pretty much every governmental and military customer we know. Right now? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Although there are some really, really smart people out there, it, but they're kind of shouted down by the bean, bean counters and contractors and everybody else. So. Well, being being smart doesn't necessarily mean that you're able to you know, uh, manage your, your supplies. Oh, no. And usually the, the smart people that actually knew the technology and the material science and all that other stuff were kept away from anything dealing with suppliers. <laughs> right, that's true. Actually, they, you can see how you might have a uh, a thruster who was once a CO of an armored battalion or a tank regiment didn't quite make it for the um, brigade commander list, and um, all of a sudden now they're a project manager for the next great bit of engineering magnificence in, in said military, mm-hmm. and they don't know that they don't know. Yeah, they don't. They just think that I'll just use my mate, my extent military magnificence uh, to solve any problem that's in front of me. Um, it just doesn't work like that. No, no. Yeah, physics in, you know, gravity doesn't really care. 
it's right. going to deal with it. All right. Well, anyway, we rambled on a good bit on this one, but the idea is, is that you do need some understanding before you open the stats book. Uh, not just about statistics. You might be a brilliant statistician, but it's just not going to solve every problem without some basic understanding of what, what are you looking for or why are you trying to do? Um, if you've got a thought on this, and if you know of it, we, we touched on a handful of disaster stories, uh, or <laughs> or you've run into this circumstance before, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash S-O-R, and you can leave us a message. You can find Chris and I and the other hosts of the show on LinkedIn or on our About pages. And as you know, we always enjoy hearing from you and getting those questions and ideas for, for upcoming podcasts, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Uh, so I'm just thinking there's probably 15 more episodes in this discussion, but we better wrap it up here pretty quick, Chris. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk to you again soon, Chris. Take care. See you next time, Fred. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.